podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Rat with me, Rob Gutman, standing in for Neil Atkinson, Paul Senior with me, Johnny Milburn and Josh Sexton. Andy Heaton producing. Don't like Andy at the moment. If you may be listening to the second version of this, you may be listening to the original. We've done one very bad version already. I hope you haven't had to hear that. Anyway, Neil's going to go mad when he hears this. Um, where are we going to start? We've had a week without proper soccer action, haven't we, Paul? But the transfer window slammed shut on us last Thursday, stroke Friday, if we count the, the Spanish element of it. We've had, well, four or five days to sort of calm down, stop being fretful about this. What's, what's your hot take? Your, no, your cold take on this. Well, there was no Big Ben, so I was very uh, disappointed. There was no chime on Sky Sports News on, on the hour when it's shut. Um, the hot take is I still don't know what to make of it, really. And by the end of the show, I'm, I'm sure I'll have uh, swayed one way or the other. I'm disappointed to miss out on, on what appears to have been our top target throughout the window. Obviously, that's Virgil van Dijk. Then we got our hopes raised that Liverpool were going to do some sort of mad £150 million spend and we just got the one we thought we'd get in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, which, don't get me wrong, I'm pleased with and it's a good addition to the squad. Um, but yeah, to to have you sort of hopes raised that we're going to do some serious business and then get neither, yeah, I was a bit disappointed. John, I've had some good-spirited exchanges on the internet with, with lads who are, who are not too happy about the, the end of the window, arguing we were promised £200 million worth of signings, even on the last the, the eve of the last day, we were promised £175 million worth of signings. And my case is, yeah, I'd love us to have got Van Dijk, and it feels like a miss to have not got him. But we do spend gross £150 million. And I am counting Naby Keita because he is secured and does cost real English dollars. Um, the 200 million promise, so that's against the 200 million. The 175 million speculation by the media assumed we were buying Lamar for 90 odd million and not selling Phil Coutinho, I think. So I don't feel, I don't feel terribly let down the way I think some of our fan base do by the end of the window, seeing it somehow cataclysmic. What do you think, John? Sorry, I parked my nose as whistling. So, um, what do I think? Uh, I think, first of all, I've had lots and lots of uh, exchanges with people on the internet as well. And I really, really think we need, as a fan base, to stop trying to tell other people how, what to think. And I think there's a huge range of... Have how... I just done that? No, no, but there's, there's, there's a huge range for, for, for of how people feel about things. And I think they're perfectly entitled to... There's a number of people who perhaps haven't... Uh, engaged as fully with 28 unsuccessful title challenges and maybe those people are feel a little bit more chipper than some other people and and I think I think we're all perfectly entitled to feel I, I'm a veteran of, of of Liverpool football seasons where we've just maybe been one short or there's been a question of did we did we do enough and, and I don't want to be at the end of another season thinking about those things and I think because we've fallen short of our declared aims for the window, it, and we've got one potentially glaring weakness in the centre-half position, I think veterans of, of supporting this football club are entitled to be a bit concerned. Now, that's not to say that um, being concerned and and perhaps being and voicing those concerns makes one person a better supporter than the other, but there's a lot of pious reds on the internet who are sort of, you're either... FSG in or FSG out, and there's yes. no there's nowhere in between where you're actually got reservations. Have we done enough? 
in after we've had a very very promising start to the league season, and I think that's where I am. I I I'm, I question whether we've we've done enough of the right type of deals to achieve our objectives um, when we've made such a blinding start to the season. Now, now the other the other caveat to all that is you've got to look at our our our, uh, our contemporaries, our peer set. Nobody's had an amazing window. I don't think we're, you could argue that United. We're going to do this, Johnny, in some detail. I want to dissect them, so I'm going to stop you. Okay. Okay. But, 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 but you, you, you could argue that some of our con- contemporaries have got deals done earlier and our, they, were, they were scrambling around less at the end. But in reality, nobody's had a, a five-star window. And I think Liverpool have had a two- or three-star window by, by my expectations that were set by the messages that were leaked by the club that we were going to spend two hundred million on players. I think I think John's John's right to said his point where he says he's a veteran of needing one more. <laughs> That's the bit where you hope it doesn't come back and bite you, I suppose. And I think I think on paper, once you actually once the dust settles and you look at the squad, we are a little bit stronger because you have got you've got a Solanke who's come in who looks good and fresh. We've got um, Alex Oxley Chamberlain who can sort of cover multitude of sins and I know the likes of Trent aren't a new sign and but he he adds to he's not someone I was in this time last year counting as a first team regular or player Joe Gomez I mean his performance against Arsenal is absolutely fantastic and we know we've got a player there but it's nice to have him back but these are things that I see with the obvious weakness was January last year Mane goes to the African Cup of Nations Joe Matip goes through the the ban with FIFA, even though you shouldn't have. There's, I think on paper now we're a little bit better to deal with it. Um, you've also got Grujic, who can come in and do a little bit more. So there's there's loads more going on. But then I think John's absolutely right as well to go, well, if you mention the transfer window, it's, I always look at it in a way where you go, well, what did everyone else do? And Antonio Conte's now walked out of his job three times through not getting, getting the players he wants. There's the big hurry on the last day to get is a Zappa Costa comes in from from Italy and they, they do they try and do Barkley and they do drink water. Now I don't think in April, May when they're putting together lists of players they want, I don't think Danny Drinkwater's high on that list. I really don't. I think Chelsea will have been looking across. Well, I'm gonna do I'm gonna stop you. I wanna do these forensically in a minute and go through them one by yeah. one. I'd say the general the, the general, general point the is the general that, yeah. point is who has a right to feel satisfied. Josh, got you, you. You're putting your hand up at me. Furiously. Yeah, sorry. I just um, it's on on a point that Milburn made before about the sort of two sides. How the sort of Mr. Milburn, yeah, yeah, yeah. The FSG and the FSG. Out. Sorry, I'm used to the nicknames. Yeah, the sort of FSG and FSG. Out. There's two sides of looking at two ways of looking at the transfer window from Liverpool's point of view, and there'll be the people who point at last season and go, "Look at the mistakes we made. Need to account for them." But also last season, there was like Paul said, there's a lot of variables why it went so badly wrong in January and February with Mane and Matip and etc. But also you can you can look at the flip side of that and say well we've strengthened and then you can point at the positives and say that's going to be improved on and you can try and prepare for the things that went wrong but equally there's certain things you can't prepare for you couldn't just bring in a load of lads and then risk having unhappy players because they're not getting any first team football just to try and account for the fact that we're going to have injuries etc it's it's you've got to sort of look at it both ways yeah i i'll stay with you on just one the, the idea i think we always have as fans which john raises that we're just one short i'm a veteran of just one short transfer windows but a lot but if i try and take a step back and be a bit more rational about it i think than my than my emotional uh, response I think that's because we 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 realign our expectations. Virgil van Dijk, I think, is a classic example here. 
if you'd asked us in March, there was speculation Liverpool wanted Van Dijk in March, but there was speculation Chelsea wanted him, City wanted him, and Arsenal wanted him. And we, most sports you spoke to, thought, nice wish, wish list player, but we ain't getting him if those guys seriously want him. So he wasn't the nailed-on solution to all our troubles back then. But as the window goes by, he, we find out we've actually achieved 50% of the, of the task by actually getting him to uh, want to agree to come to Liverpool. But we don't cross the line. So the expectation is a falling short. Whereas often it's a glass half full, half empty situation, isn't it? Or am I talking shite, John? No, yeah, it is. And I think I think once once we'd you know been been bit on the arse by the fact that we'd been you know chasing him around Blackpool or whatever was going on, I think it pe- what people didn't realise is that it became almost principle for Southampton to to not sell him like people got their hopes up and I did as well I was thinking you know going into deadline day we're going to sign him but if you look back at it and I think Sean mentioned it on on, a, on one of our transfer shows on deadline day Liverpool can literally turn around and go look lads we removed our interest there's nothing there's nothing to say that we were still apart from you know the journalist reports and things like that there's nothing really concrete to say that we were definitely still interested in him because we'd almost put ourselves in that untenable position of not being able to go back in for him he wanted he wanted Liverpool, so the other clubs didn't want to go in for him, knowing that he only wanted Liverpool, and you know Southampton didn't want to sell to us, and that was ultimately what's what's cost us the player. Uh, John, the criticism that grew uh, to, towards the club to Klopp, FSG towards towards the end of the window was, where's the plan B? Where's the plan B? With Van Dijk, I, I this is how I think that the decision making process must have gone. I'd be interested in what you would have done if you'd been there, if you'd been Edwards, say. They're coming towards the end of the window. They maybe do think they've got still got a chance of Van Dyke, notwithstanding what Josh has just uh, just explained. Um, they think they've got a chance of getting Van Dyke, but there is also a chance he doesn't come. Do you go sod it, cut your losses, forget Virgil Van Dyke, and buy a thirty million pound Plan B, or do you say <coughs> it's him or nothing? <coughs> excuse me, and hang in there for maybe having another go in January. What do you do? Well, well, I, I think I think it. Michael Edwards have a bit more information than me in terms of well, what. Has this been a, a thing with Southampton where Southampton have warned us off completely forever or have Southampton left the door open for a potential deal in January? And, it, and you could you could make a case then for saying, OK, we, can we get through this pretty arduous next three months of football, um, get ourselves to uh, 1st of January and, and, and then pick him up? Perhaps that's the indication that, 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 that Edwards has been given. I think if, if you wind the clock back 12 months ago, I think 12 months ago, about this time, there was the first international break. I think we were by by this point we were, we we I think we'd um, we'd lost the majority of our. Uh, we, we we were beginning to start to see uh, problems with our strike force, and I think I think that my issue last summer with with the way uh, the transfer window went was that many of our problems were entirely predictable. So we knew that Danny Ings was coming back from a long-term injury and there was no guarantee that he was going... You're talking 2.16 now, aren't you? Am, am, I, am I getting mixed up with years? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I think you're talking 2.16. No, uh, so I'm, I'm saying that we had... Um, Ings's second injury was was not entirely unpredictable. Daniel Sturridge's fitness was not enti- is not entirely un- unpredictable. But we still... Um, when we knew about the departure of Mar- departure of Mane for, for the... For the for the, um, AFCON, for yeah. the AFCON. And so... What, I, what I'm delighted about is the lessons been learnt from last year. We've got an embarrassment of riches up front from that perspective. And if you look at young Ben Woodburn, all, all but forgotten, can't get on the bloody bench, scoring worldies in, in, in World Cup qualifiers over the weekend. We've got a real embarrassment of riches up, up front. And you can't imagine 
the arse falling out of the front part of the squad over over the next three or four months. You just you just cannot see it. You, you can imagine there's going to be good competition for places. I think the addition of Oxley Chamberlain gives us a real utility player that even in the absence of, of in addition to James Milner yeah, as well in addition to James Milner and, we, and obviously we've got um we've got Lalana to come back the the midfield feels like a really good interchangeable unit lots and lots of players we can interchange full back we look really really well covered all of a sudden we've gone from being a problem position to now we've got a couple of options for for, for more um, games where we want players to bomb forward and where we need to sit in and be a little tighter. We've we seem to have good utility options there at centre half. We've got two centre halves that you we can all probably get if we were to play if you could get a bet on that one of those centre halves will be injured between now and Christmas. The odds will be miles odds on, and the drop down to to, to Clavan is just is just too far. And two games a week between now and Christmas. I think to not have some cover feels negligent. And I know there'll be many that will be listening to this will say, well, Gomez, Gomez can play centre-half. He's played less than five games for Liverpool at centre-half. And, and he, he's a great prospect. He's a, he's a, he, looks, he looks like he's got all the tools. But if we go into another season and the season, God forbid, touch wood, this doesn't happen. But if, if we're, we're, we're technically out of all major competitions by Christmas because of a centre half injury or a couple of centre half injuries, then it will it will it will reflect on that window as being negligent, and, and that's my, that's my concern. I think you've, I, this is where I sympathise with the club a little bit. Is that this is um, a Liverpool first choice eleven that um, that that takes all the big teams to task. You know, you, you you're talking about a Liverpool side that that can beat anybody at an eleven, and now I feel like we've got. A squad around, and I do agree with John. I think the drop from Lovren and Matip to Clavin is maybe too big. I suppose the argument is maybe Joe Gomez sits ahead of Clavin in the queue. Now I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. I think only time will tell. But the the, the bit where I sympathise with the club is is that yes, they want a centre half, and that centre half is Virgil Van Dijk. Well, you might be able to get Virgil Van Dijk in three or four months' time. So for you to go and spend thirty, forty million pounds on. Johnny Evans, for example, a centre half, which you know Arsenal and Manchester City were both linked with over the summer. This is a lad who sort of left Manchester United three or four years ago in dis- not not in disgrace for, in a, in for a about eight million. Yeah, for, yeah, for, for pennies they, they didn't they didn't want him. He wasn't cutting the grade, and I think that that tells you about how many good centre halves are out there first and foremost. But also that it's very hard to improve on these first eleven lads and. I agree the, the thing is, John, if if you're if you've still got ambition to get in Virgil Van Dijk, the lad you're trying to sell Liverpool to, whether it be jo- Johnny Evans or not, is going to be looking at am I Ranyar Clavin in in three months' time, and that that's a hard sell for well, me so to a top centre half. Before you cut back in, John, it's FSG could say to them, yeah, sure, you can have your plan be 35, 40 million pounds sent off, but don't come to us for seventy million for Van Dijk in January. Yeah. It is either or, boys. What do you want? Yeah, and, and the point I was going to make was that. The, the, being a centre half in a Jurgen Klopp team and a Liverpool is not like what Johnny Evans is doing for, for West Brom. It's a very, very, very di- different discipline. And I think everyone says, surely there must be a better, an alternative centre half round. There aren't many that have proven themselves to be able to be able to play a high line, being able to play without the protection of a of a of a sitting midfielder in front of them or a really defensive uh, midfielder in front of them. So I, I recognise the challenge. I just, I still feel that in the youth ranks, I, I don't see a young centre half. That 
I'm imagining a situation you could conceivably um, lose a couple of games on the bounce in the league and then have a couple of poor results in the Champions League and the the, the objectives for the season completely change. And, and that can happen as a consequence of one or two injuries. Do you, do you, not, do you not feel if you've got England under-21s captain in reserve there that, that, that Klopp's, Klopp's got to... Um, you've, got, you've got to consider his development as well. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I just don't think you can keep pushing and pushing this lad down the... Down the down the order. If you then at the same time want to develop into the centre half, everyone feels he can but, become. But we can, but we can do it in other departments. So we've got I don't know, is it seven or eight players who can play in the front three? We've got same number for the midfield. We, we seem to have three or four lads who can play at centre half. That's my concern that we just mm. the, the the numbers game. We're not playing the numbers playing in all. The, I'm really really pleased with midfield cover. I'm really really pleased with forward line cover. I'm just concerned that we, just in the centre-half, we haven't got numbers. I think it's interesting, John, that you said about that sort of defenders that can play the high line, because it's, it's obvious that Klopp and Edwards have sort of sat down the end of last season, sort of had their best 11 on, on the sheet and, and on a sheet and looked at it and said, who can, what areas can we improve here? And, he's, and then he's, they've earmarked who's gettable and who they'd want to, to be able to improve their areas. And Van Dijk's obviously one of the ones who stood out. It's interesting that they say about these alternatives and people go, well, well, there isn't them. And then some people say, well, surely there must be. The fact of the matter is, is that of all these centre-halves in the world, Klopp, Klopp thinks that only Van Dijk can improve on that area and he's the only one that's gettable. Moving on from the centre-half chat, which I think is going to be an endless uh, subplot for us for until January at the very least. Uh, let's, let's again take stock at an overview, Paul, a comprehensive overview of what we've done. Because, well, I'm, I'm pitching that I'm, I think it's my cold take five, six days later, is that it's, a posit- it's been a positive window. Yeah. We, have, we set out, I think, at the, begin- not, yeah, the beginning of the window, just before it opened in July... We, it had become established, and I think most supporters had bought into the following, that we were going to sign Mohamed Salah, Naby Keita, Virgil van Dijk, Oxlade-Chamberlain as a utility player, and a left-back. That was where the talk was. We've got to the end of the window, and there's only one name we haven't signed there, and that's uh, van Dijk. I'd say... Yeah, see, I, I, I'd say, it was, you know, it was, too, it was taking a lot for granted to assume we'd get those over the line. To have got as close as we did isn't bad. Maybe the one short... Johnny references is, is, is Naby Keita. I'm, I'm, I understand we've signed Naby Keita, but we haven't. You know what I mean? He's not going to kick a ball for Liverpool. Still costs real money, though. Yes, absolutely. Um, Let's put him in on sat- against City on Saturday. But that, that's, the, that, <laughs> that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? That you can't, that we can't do Let that. Let me stop you, because I'm going to do the same thing on the centre-half. And I want you to, if you, but your alternative is, don't sign Naby and sign a, sign a plan B, because he wasn't available. No, no, and I then want... you don't afford Naby next year. So what do you want? I want Naby because we're very strong in midfield. But you can't have him, because Leipzig won't let you have them. So what do the club do? No, no, I want him for next year, rather than oh, see, sorry, an alternative. Yeah. Sorry. Fair enough. Um, Fair so, enough. yes, I understand. The the club, I think, have been proactive, and, I, and you know, tip my hat to them for that, because they've gone and, and, and signed a midfielder there that... Everyone in Europe wanted this to play at Barcelona held a very good interest in and he only seemed to want Liverpool. Don't get me wrong, in three or four years' time, he may feel a little bit differently. That being said, yes, brilliant. Are we, we covering all, all the whole business now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Salah, Solanke, whatever you want to talk Salah looks at, um, a wonderful addition. We were talking to him off air before we came in and I think, as I've said in a couple of shows on, on tour player, that... I feel like we got the perfect balance. I wanted us to get a lad like Sadio Mane, but I wondered whether his identical twin on the right-hand right, right hand side may have been a, a bit much of the same thing. I think we got the perfect balance. I feel Sadio Mane's fantastic running at you. 
And I think we got the balance that Salah can really get in behind. And we've seen that against Arsenal. We've seen glimpses of it against Hoffenheim as well. The other thing is he's a real poacher. Like like a like a Robbie Fowler number nine. You know, he's he's always in the right position for me. So I'm, I'm made up with that. The other thing is as well, what I've seen of Andrew Robertson. I'm really, really pleased with, I think, we've gone from, and Johnny's referenced it, we've gone from being really short and certain positions to looking really strong. And I think the fact, the, the emergence of Trent and and Joe Gomez are going to allow Andrew Robertson a little bit of time and take a little bit of pressure off him so he can settle properly. And, you know, we've got that new lad, Albie Moreno, as well, haven't we? So and then <laughs> Like a new signing. When I was in Berlin for the friendly this year, I thought, that's, I, I had a proper watch of uh, Divock Origi got injured in the warm-up when I was watching Solanke quite quite a bit. I think we've got a real real talent there and it's no surprise to me that Origi went out. And there's Oxlade-Chamberlain. But, but also, uh, Johnny, the other big win, which is, I think, being taken for granted, but you, you don't have to see it as a win if you don't want to, but my feeling is, is we kept Philip Coutinho. At the end of the day, we came under pressure from arguably the most prestigious club in the world, give or take a Real Madrid. They wanted him. They were prepared to pay very, very big money. The lad was prepared to walk on broken glass to get there, but we have retained him. Yeah, I think it's brilliant news. and I personally don't... It might be later on in the agenda, but I don't personally think we're going to have a world of problems reintegrating him into the team either. Um, I, if I can be... Slightly churlish about it. The the story that um, Cy Hughes did a brilliant bit of journalism last week, and he published a story about about maybe a little bit to the background as to why we were so resolute to to, to keep him. And I and I, it's it, it, it's it's a brilliant story. I think uh, if I was being a little bit churlish about it, I'm a bit concerned. It felt like a bit of a cock measuring competition between John Henry and and, and the Barcelona. But good. Yeah, it, it, it's it's great, but 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 it, it's 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 through. It came across as being a. Um, arrogant intransigence rather than well let's make a reasoned d- d- decision about about what's best for everybody Johnny can I dive in here though yeah. TV's Andrew Heaton right so I get all that and I thought size piece was the definitive the definitive piece on the whole saga thanks Rob <laughs> <laughs> um, what maybe it was a cock measuring contest but then isn't football a cock measuring contest Absolutely. we've spent we've spent years going oh kind of accepting that we're not at this top table anymore that you know, we're going to lose our best players because we're this stepping stone club. Actually, you know what? Is right. Is right for going. I, you know what? But I don't care what you want me. You signed a five-year deal. There's no clause in there. Tough shit. And maybe if we can stick to that, it won't just change the mentality within the club. It'll change the mentality with the fans as well. Why shouldn't we be as good as... Why shouldn't we be as, as, as strong as Bayern Munich? Why shouldn't we be as strong as, you know... Walking around with a bit of a swagger, you don't see Bayern Munich and the likes get bullied. Absolutely, and we've been getting bullied for too long. I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, my my issue, my issue was if John Henry's motive was we are as good as any of these guys, we'll take it, we'll take them all on two by two. Fantastic, but that the, the way I read the story, it was, it was a bit of a personal thing, really. A former employee with a bit of a grudge, and he didn't want to lose the upper hand. That, that was that was on Barcelona's side of it. Yeah, just okay. that, that, that might have been the that's case for true. Barcelona. That's, that's true. Pep Segura was the dismissed party, and he had he had something to prove. I think I think with John, to, to be honest with you, I think at the end of the day, whatever personal grudges John Henry did or didn't hold against Pep Segura, John Philip Coutinho is the club's sort of all but de facto best player. He Absolutely. has to have a stance on this. Uh, listen, I'm delighted we kept him, and I agree with everything Andy just said. That finally, there's two big things that have happened this window. We've told one of the biggest clubs in the world to fuck off. Right and 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 they 
there was money there. There was real money there. The type of money we all talked about being ridiculous money, and the club held firm and told them to fuck off. I'm absolutely, absolutely made up of that. The other big thing that I took away from this window is the number of key targets who were choosing Liverpool Football Club over Chelsea, over Arsenal, over other clubs. It feels like there is momentum behind this club now. And I, I, I and whether you attribute that to Klopp or whether you attribute it to FSG, whoever you attribute it to, it feels like this club's moving forward. And and, and that's my big thing that I've, take, I've, I've, I've taken away from the window. You, you forget sometimes that the, the real giants in world football, the real giants, there's not many of them, and we're one of them. But the, the problem for Liverpool is... They've just been too long. I was away from the top table, Wallace, and the top table is the Champions League. And the the difference in mentality and swagger around this club, where Liverpool are, are a Champions League club, is a completely different thing. But the, the thing we're armed with now as well is is the most personable, lovable manager in world football. I mean, again, referencing up being in Germany a few a few months ago, um, the. The, I was watching Sky Sport News, which is the it's a, the identical Sky Sports News that we have here. There's a segment constantly about Jurgen Klopp going on there and what Jurgen Klopp's doing. The Germans absolutely love him. You can see that the, the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, this is a lad who's took 60 grand a week pay cut or potential pay cut to sign for Liverpool to be part of a project with this manager. And I think all the pieces are coming into place. But the other thing is, I think the, the, the day where... Jürgen Klopp was appointed was the day FSG started having a go. That was their real big statement and they're backing it. And you can tell through little things like this and there's the stance on Coutinho is that the Liverpool are not being this bully victim anymore that they're starting to act like the giant they really are. Josh, Klopp must have a hell of a sales pitch to some of these players. Though. That you know, the, the club is in rude health, I think, arguably. Possibly the best health by any objective measure you, for some considerable time. Ever, we're in the Champions League, the squad feels strong, money is getting spent, the ground's as big as it's been for a considerable period of time. There's a feel-good factor. But to get all of our targets to want to buy into the project, even if we didn't sign them all, there's got to be a lot to do with the manager's process. Yeah, I think, um, I know everyone hates the word, but Klopp's almost like the best project manager in the world. There's, there's, a load of, there's a load of good managers in the world who you could go to the club and like, you know, you've got your Ancelotti's and Mourinho's and Guardiola's, but they're all known for sort of, you know, paying big money for players and having these really big squads and, and quite often there's, you know, cast, cast offs of that. Whereas Klopp is a manager who favours, you know, if he, if he buys a player, he's going to sort of stick at him and try and improve him. And I think that's what a lot of people desire is that sort of surety, especially football players desire that sort of surety and Klopp gives that and he gives, you know, a broader view of what, what things, how things will be going in the future. I think it also shows the control that he's got at the club. He, sh- he uses the word development a lot, doesn't he, Klopp? And the, mm. I thought the most sure thing coming into the uh, the transfer windows that Alberto Moreno would be a player of somebody else and not no longer a Liverpool player. And he, he the, the quote is, Alberto Moreno is 100% back. He was saying in January about who, who's playing well, who's the best player in training. It was Alberto Moreno. And I, I, I thought, well, you're not giving him much of a look, Jürgen, you know, so how, how can you say that sort of things? But it shows some managers, and I think he's absolutely right what he's done with Mamadou Sacco, but it shows that some if you're training hard enough and if you're willing to learn and be part of the system and do the things they want in training, that he, he'll give you the chance. So 
People are talking about where does Alex Oxley Chamberlain play? Well, say he does have a drop in form, or you can't quite find his way. His career's not going to be dead with Jurgen Klopp because he'll find a way. As long as you do the things he wants you to do, he'll find the way. Okay, John. I mean, we started at the beginning. You know, you and Paul began to talk about how our window could be perceived relative to our rivals. I stopped you in the full flow before we got forensic. Now is <laughs> the time to drill down. Let's let's just sort of have the virtual conversations that our rivals are having in their version of this. Let's go one by one with the, the rest of the top six. We'll start with the worst first. I think unequivocally Arsenal had the worst window, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. And I, th- I think um, Arsenal's behaviour in the window has been, been pretty wild, to be honest with you, considering the, the issues that they've had. Um, and I think... Uh, if you, if you if you try and read the mood music around Arsenal, it feels like the gamble of giving um, Wenger another two-year contract appears to have been a mistake because it feels like the players aren't necessarily playing for him. It feels like there's a number of players who want away and their ability to attract players into the club. So, again, you can only read what, read what, what you pick up in the media, but the suggestions were that Lamar preferred Liverpool o- over Arsenal and, and I suppose for the first time in in maybe a decade and even longer you can you can completely believe that given that you'd imagine where Liverpool are today um we we've been objectively behind Arsenal in league terms for for for, for the bulk of the bulk of the last sort of 10 15 years and you if you're placing your bet whether who's going to finish t- above each other this season, you would you would arguably pitch uh, Liverpool ahead of Arsenal, and I think for them not to first of all to let Oxlade Chamberlain go to a team where they would consider to be a rival, um, and then to have secured virtually nobody into into that team, I think it, it's a disastrous window for, for Arsenal. Josh, let's stay in North London Spurs. Mm. Um, it looked to be heading to a bit of a to a bit of a blind alley there. Window saved at the last, saved enough. What's your take? Yeah, I think it was um, sort of halfway through the window. I was looking at Spurs and thinking for all for all the problems that we are perceived to have with our depth, they and Chelsea, who I know you're going to come on to, uh, they've sort of got much worse depth than we had. And then obviously Spurs have come in with uh, was it three late signs? I think it was San- Sanchez, Aurier, and uh, Lorente. Lorente, yeah. And I think they've ju- they've just addressed the sort of key areas in the squad. So they lost Kyle Walker, Aurier's come in to replace him, and then imagine it's, a better player. Well, yeah, and you imagine it's him and Trippier fighting out over that. And I think people would also argue that maybe Trippier has his, has his days better than Kyle Walker as well. They've got Lorente, which is one of the key problems last season. It's when when they lost Harry Kane, Kyungmin Son's not a natural striker, and if he wasn't on form, then it's it tailed off for them. And I think in Llorente, they've got someone who can genuinely particularly in the sort of winter months. And Neil likes that theory of having a, a big man for your sort of worse weather and Lorente will definitely do that for them. And then obviously Sanchez, I'm not sure if they needed that strength at the back, but they've, they've got it. And when when they've now got their fully fit 11, which which is formidable at best, they've now also got a bench which which matches that and there's not so much of a drop-off in quality as as you saw. So yeah, they've definitely saved it. Paul, I can see that they've they've redeemed their, their window, but I'm not sure it's a great window for them. For Tottenham? Yeah, I, I think... I'll buy that Aurier may be an improvement on Walker. He's new to the Premier League, so he may not, even though on, on television viewing you'd probably you'd, you'd pick him over Walker just about. Sanchez is an unknown quantity from a different kind of league and won't get in the first team straight away anyway. And Rente is a, is a sort of a, a journeyman forward we all like a little bit, but I think is a fair drop-off from him to, from Carrie Kane to him. 
Yeah, the only thing I'd argue is there's a fair jump between Vincent Janssen and Fernando Llorente mm. as well, and that that that's where potentially they were, only because Janssen was such a poor fi- guy. He scored 15 goals in the Premier League last season, Llorente, and in a side built for him, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But this is Harry Kane's not one to be shy of getting an injury, um, so they've now got an adequate replacement, and I think it does enable Son to play in his natural position a bit more. It's like for like what they've done a full back, um, or yeah. I'd say Ore is more of a loose a loose cannon, more as a person than as a footballer. I think he's a he might be one to one to watch this year in terms of his behaviour off the field, and then the the, the centre half from Ajax Sanchez. I don't know much about him. Kevin Women went to Stoke, so I don't know whether that that again is just like for like or maybe that ten percent better. I don't think they've improved massively. I know they brought in another backup keeper, but I think he's third choice keeper. Um, so but they were they were probably the strongest squad in the Premier League the last few seasons. That the addition of the Champions League hasn't really hampered their league performance. I mean, they've finished second, third, and second in the last two seasons. They were pretty much the second place side. The year Leicester won it as well. So, how they push on? I think the the worst sign in the summer is going to be Wembley. You know that that's going to be um, something they need to get over and get over quick. I know there's a bit of negativity surrounding there already. So they've got a, they've got a year to swallow of that. So maybe the the idea is just to to be solid. Don't really lose anyone. Um, and hope they can crack on. I think I think it's interesting that you know when you try and compare it to Liverpool and, and you say whether Spurs had a great window. It's what they've what they've done with Aurier, Lorente and Sanchez is they've bridged a gap. So Sanchez is a highly rated 21-year-old. They've got him for £30, 30 million. Pounds. He's, you'd assume he's better than what they had in Vimmer as a backup centre-half. Aurier, you know, whether it's him and Trippier fighting out, there's, not, there's now better competition at that right-back spot when Trippier wasn't getting a game and Walker was. They've, they've, they've basically shored that up. And then Lorente bridges the gap between Vimmer. It's really hard for them to improve on that first eleven because it's so good when everyone's fully fit. Compare it to Liverpool... There were there were obvious gaps in our first eleven where you go we could improve there we could improve there and we have done that but comparatively it's it's they're just quite hard to compare I think there doesn't seem to be any uncertainty surrounding Spurs though that, that's that's the one thing they can take is that the managers on a solid contract all the top players are on solid contracts they're not paying the the only thing of discontent you hear is that maybe some of the some of their players are starting to say well we're looking at what other people are earning and you're not paying them sorts of wages but I think. I think they'll be there or thereabouts again this year, Tottenham, there's no doubt. OK, Chelsea, the champions. Uh, John, sticks in the cross saying that, still don't know why. Um, very interesting window for them. It feels there's a lot of uncertainty considering there are champions around them. Yeah, obviously, you've got to caveat everything you say. Their squad looks weak, but they are the, they are the champions. I think the, the fact that... Um, Costa's situation just appears to, to to be in abeyance, and that's that's a really really strange uh, set of circumstances. And I, I'm not quite sure what, what what goes on there. They've added Morata. I've just sold Morata out of my fancy football team, which <laughs> means rubbish. which means it's guaranteed that he's going to get a hat trick at the weekend. Um, uh, and obviously they brought in Bakayoko and and drink water. They, they don't feel like and the fullback as well. Yeah. Didn't they? Yeah. They don't feel as though they are, um, I hate the phrase, but marquee types signings. They're, they're, they're a mid-range rather than game-changer. But I, th- I think, I think um, I'm think i surprised that Chelsea didn't go bigger in the window. But I think you could say that about everybody. Um, 
well, I'm sure when we look at City, City have gone big in cash terms, but you don't feel as though their their squad's been transformed, and no. you don't. I, I'm going there confident on on Saturday. I think with um with with Chelsea, I think they've they've they've, they've done like for like again, haven't they? So they they lost John Terry and they've let Kurtzuma go out alone, so they brought Rudiger in, German international, highly rated, but no one really knows what to expect. Uh, Bakayoko again. He's on like for like with Matic. I'd probably rather have Matic. That just and I think if you honestly asked Antonio Conte, I think he'd rather have him. Morata's gone like for like with Costa, and then they were like they were very light. At best, you know. I mean, Costa Costa has a proven pedigree. Morata's no more. I mean, no, he could, be, he could be sensational. But this is no a guarantee. sixty million pound striker from Real Madrid. He's only being held out of that side because Caramentum is so good. Sure. So I'm I'm not. I'm not sleeping easy. The fact that I'd be facing Morata, there was a host of top clubs in for him when when it was available. So I think he's good. And they've had, the one thing, the smart move, and it's not one that I thought they'd make his drink water. I mean, they've rekindled probably the most formidable midfield I've, I've seen in a long time in Kante and drink water. There's, there's something to be said about that, I think. And I don't think this is anything by accident where they've just took them individually on the merits. Them two as a pair were absolutely fantastic. I think Drinkwater's really underrated and I think he'll start regularly for Chelsea. I think there's this thing he's been brought in to make up the numbers. I think Ross Barkley was being brought in to make up the numbers. But I don't think so with Drinkwater. I think it's a good signing. Um, I was interest, interested to see the let Zuma go. That was, that was still a bit of a strange one. I think he's got such a bright future and... Maybe. Preferred Christensen, didn't they? Yeah, they preferred him. And I think he was on loan last year, Christensen. Um, he has been for a couple of years. And Nathan Ake, they let go. And Nathan Ake, yeah, <laughs> of course. I'd forgotten about that one. So I don't know if they were a little bit short-sighted. The thing is, with a loan, obviously, that he gets to come back one day. But um, centre-half centre is maybe where they're, weak, where they're weakest, I think. The thing that's interesting with Chelsea is that they've, they, they've been a team who've historically, well, historically since Abramovich sort of came in, They've been a team that's always had this this magnificent depth, and it's it's almost like it's come back to bite them now because the good players have had on the fringe of the squad, they're, they're sort of slowly starting to drop off, and then now you now you're going to start to see more from Chelsea that noticeable drop off in quality between the first eleven and what they've got on the bench, and I think this this summer where you know Conte there's sort of rumours of the infight and things like that. It's going to be more obvious the, the the problems they have over the course of the season, particularly if they get injuries. And, you know, it's not been the best start in terms of that because Hazard's been injured. And the co- the whole cost situation is interesting because he's their top goal scorer from last season. And I know you could say with any signing there's no guarantee, but to, to replace your top goal scorer and your sort of talisman in your team, and, and, and bear in mind they're replacing the whole spine as well, really, by... You know, John Terry or whoever you want, Gary Cahill subbing out the team going and playing Rudiger there. And then they brought in, I know Kante and Drinkwater was that formidable partnership, but are they going to play the same sort of football that Leicester played? And do they have the striker to do that as Leicester did with Vardy and Mares? It's, it's, it's all ifs and buts, really. But Well, I don't know <coughs> our friend Phil Blundell, if he was here, <coughs> what he would be pointing out, so I'll point out in his stead, John, is that Chelsea played... Only in one competition last season, to all intents and purposes, albeit they had a good FA Cup run. <clears throat> the main competition they were involved in is was winning the league title. They had fewer injuries than anybody else. They, they made a, almost an unprecedented um, number of few number of changes throughout the season. That was a thin squad. Um, Phil would contend that had they had two or three more injuries, their drop off in points may have seen them not win the league. Um, they come into this season to, wanting to be serious players in the Champions League. 
They've let players go. We've seen Zuma out, we've seen Matic out, we Costa's effectively out. It feels to me, <clears throat> and, and the ghost of Phil who isn't quite here, feels feels to us like Chelsea, all to Chelsea have done is uh, re, re, repopulated a squad that wasn't big enough in the first place. That if they have anything like a mini injury crisis, they are absolutely in big trouble this season. Yeah, I think that's a really, really fair assessment. So I think their their injury record was 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 stellar, and I think a winning team that's winning every week um, miraculously don't get injured. It, it, it's always the teams that are having a bit of a, a crisis of confidence that all of a sudden one or two one or two drop out. And that's not me suggesting that players aren't really injured, but you just they want to stay, when the team's going for the league and you're at the top of the league and you're flying. People people recover a lot faster and they want to get back into that team. And I think you're right, Rob. I think their total. I haven't looked at it, but I would imagine their total numbers haven't swollen dramatically to cope with. Going on multiple multiple fronts, so it'll be interesting to see how, how they do once they get one or two. Particularly in key areas, maybe they've got the same vulnerability I've discussed with Liverpool. If what's their cover like at centre half, for example? Paul, let's let's move on to uh, the two Manks. Um, they're the biggest net spenders, City and United. Yeah. Let's let's look at them t- together. How do you view the summers they had one by one? Uh, I'll start with United. I think. I was listening to uh, Sam Matterface talk the other day about Mourinho. He said he had a, a sit down with him in the Lowry Hotel. And it, this was May June, and he said, "What do you what do you want for the summer?" He said, "I want a striker. I want a centre half. I want um, central midfielder, and I'd like a winger." He went out and got three out of the four of them. Perisic didn't As did move. We. Uh, yes, in a way. Yeah, but he Mourinho's. He said he had a similar conversation a few years ago and he went, I want Cesc Fabregas and Diego Costa and if we get that, I'll win the league. Um, Mourinho's one of them fellas who goes, I'll have four primary targets. He's not going to go and buy 12 lads in one year. He, he sort of just brings in quality, 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 quality all the time. And I think, I don't know, I've not seen much of Lindelof, but I know in Lukaku and Matic, he's got two very good Premier League players in. Um, surprised. With the ease he got Matic out of Chelsea, I'm still gobsmacked about that. But Lukaku, I think the one thing they they did miss was a bit of a bit of a bully for the smaller sides. And um, Lukaku is is brilliant against them sort of sides. I think he scored about two hundred goals against West Ham in about three games. So he's he's the sort he's the sort of lad who may cure them problems because he is such a big pest and a bully. Um, what. Well, their, their midfield looks formidable now. I, I would I would say I think adding Matic to an already relatively strong midfield. I think you'll see Pogba jump on a little bit. But he effectively lost Schneiderlin in January. Yeah. So Matic is his replacement in that midfield. A much yeah. better one. But a big upgrade. Yeah. Big, big upgrade. upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, so that a year ago, a year and a bit ago, though, when Matic after Chelsea finished twelfth, mm, and Matic had had a I, bad season and. Why, why did you hear them call him loyal? I thought I, I read loads about that, um, and I don't know if it looks to the problems that Jose Mourinho had at Chelsea towards the end of his tenure. But I think it was Nemanja Matić is a Jose Mourinho player. There's, there's yeah. no, there's no doubt about that. And he looks, he looks one of the best when playing for Mourinho, and I don't think he did look one of the best players under Conte. But when he plays for Mourinho, Mourinho finds the way but of getting it all off. No, yeah, but he didn't last long in his last year, did he, Mourinho? Yeah, there's, so, a lot, there's a lot of variables of that year anyway, to Absolutely. Be fair, you know? But you could throw that accusation at nearly the whole team. Yeah. The only person he really lost was Rooney, you know, and, and what he did do is he's got Marshall there, sat there, not doing a lot, and then Zlatan will be fit around the time you're going to need him. So bringing Zlatan back, 
I think is is probably going to prove to be good business in a time where Lukaku might need a rest. I think it'd be interesting to look at United's fixtures because okay. whilst they've been anointed champions by, as champions by the press, haven't they? And they've had a blinding start, but they've not really played anyone of, of note yet. So let's all calm our excitement for a little while. Lukaku's got a trait where he's formidable again. He's a, he's a quintessential flat-track bully. And it'd be interesting to see how they do when they play top six teams or top five teams away from home and if he's if he's not firing. And I think it'd be interesting because I think they're the games where a player um, like Zlatan can make the difference in, and, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see when those games are scheduled. Actually, I've not looked at. I've looked. I know United have got to come to our place in October. I've not looked at when when the rest of the games are. But I think um, Lukaku away from home against the top six that could be a potential vulnerability for, for United. I think it's almost trademark Mourinho. What you're seeing is that he had he had last season to sort of feel out his team, and and you and you saw a lot of a United team that didn't really look like they knew how they wanted to play. And obviously, you know, the, the signings that he did bring in, there was, didn't really have much pace to his team. This season now, I think with Matic and Lukaku in particular, you're, you're really going to see United getting towards exactly how they want to play. And that, and that they, for me, have probably had the best window of the top six on that basis, is that they're now really coming towards this sort of finished product of where Mourinho wants to get them. He probably would have liked the winger because they're still lacking that little bit of pace and, and width. But I think they are they are probably the team that's coming closest towards their sort of final form, if you will. With with City, then I think they've, they've City, City have had a really similar window to us. They, but they've they've remedied the the problem position very aggressively, haven't they? So they've they've identified both sides of fullback. I've never really seen a side do that before. Bomb all four and bring four new ones in. In Danilo, I thought that was quite a wise move because he can sort of play in midfield as well. Will want games. Walker, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but Kyle Walker's one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League. There's there's no there's no doubt about it in my mind. Benjamin Mendy, you know, he's got could he's, be sensational. Could be yeah. sensational. I mean, he's part of this very, very exciting French squad. Um and then he brought in a new goalkeeper who there's been not, not a lot spoken about, but people who've been watching him saying if you wanted to find this goalkeeper who can play with his feet with this lad's like a quarterback, but in goal, his, his passing range is meant to be phenomenal. I think who he lost to Sanya Zabaleta, Clichy, Navas, Fernando, these are no losses to a Pep Guardiola Is Yaya effectively gone now? No, he's him. been on the bench. Um, yeah, yeah, as well. So, I mean... Iheanacho as well. In, in Iheanacho went, yeah, but I mean, I think the emergence of Gabriel Jesus sort of killed him in about January last year, didn't it? So... They're very, very strong in in squad. But then I think what John touched on before is I really don't fear them coming into the weekend. I really don't. And I think with all the money spent, maybe when Pellegrini went, they weren't quite as strong as everyone thought they were. They were very much they were very old when they were massively in decline. And I think the the when uh, their owners came in, that they did spend a lot of, a lot a lot of money and bought a lot of players, but they didn't really refresh it quite as much they did bring De Bruyne in and they've they've added bits of quality more but they've never really overhauled quite in the way I don't know if that's FFP or whatnot but they've had to this year with David Silva coming to the the later stages of career yeah yeah the same so they've they've had to do that but still I think because they've still got Aguero yeah yeah and Silva in reserve that they just look so strong I think they've had like a sorry a sort of slightly inflated version of our window in that 
they had they had some fat which they needed to trim, which may be not the case with us this season. But I think you've seen us do that over a couple of years now. It's we've become this like this new Liverpool team. They've they've managed to do that all in one summer with their like the older players that Paul mentioned going out. They've addressed a couple of key weaknesses in the squad, but I think the one thing if you said to City fans they'd change about the window is that they'd really want that centre half, and it, it it almost gives you that indication of how hard it was for us to get Van Dijk and for us to find an alternative to Van Dijk possibly is that their number one centre-back target they were chasing all summer once Van Dijk was gone was Johnny Evans. Do you think, John, that, OK, you can, I buy into the, the mantra that going forward, City against the teams they can flat-track bully are going to be irresistible with their, their, their wide men and, and De Bruyne and, and Aguero or, or Jesus. But I do wonder, in a battle, what they've got steel they've got in central midfield still. I agree with Josh about centre-half. I think they need Gundogan back and firing. Uh, Fernandinho, yeah, but I, I look at some of the others, I say United central midfield options, our central midfield options, and say theirs going forward look fine, but as a screen, as a, as a battling, what's it, not quite, it's the opposite, quintet trio, I worry they don't have that trio. No, I, I, I think you, people overlook Fernandinho. I think Fernandinho's got a lot of quality. And if, again, we talk about this Roto Fantasy Football League. I think when you play that, you start to examine players' numbers in a little bit more detail. Yeah. And I think he's one of those players that's quite deceptive with the eye. You don't, he, he's, he reminds me a bit of Dietmar Hamann in that you don't really, you don't spend the game watching him and you're marvelling at the things he does. But when you do, he's a really, really effective um, midfield general, if you like. And I think... Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't underrate him, but I would, I wouldn't fancy him against Naby Keita. Yeah, the, thing, the, <laughs> the, the thing with City is though, isn't it? They, they they've basically abandoned playing midfielders now. Yeah. They mm. just sacrificed them for forwards, and you're seeing Kevin De Bruyne playing probably the number eight position now, where naturally he's a number ten. And then you, you think to yourself, does what? What do they do? What does he do at the weekend? He he surely can't just play one lad in midfield and. And five forwards against against Liverpool, you wouldn't imagine he'd be so arrogant as to do that. And I don't know whether this is one where maybe he does bring Yaya in, maybe he brings Yaya in for the for the top six when when Gundogan's fit. Maybe he brings him in. I don't I don't know. He's I can sort of see his logic in just going. I'm just going to attack these these sides. That, play 11 men behind the ball and you know we've identified it as one of our own problems and maybe Pep's going well the only way to cure this is to just get the best attacking lads on the pitch and hope there's a bit of magic in them this weekend I think he's in for a, a bit more of a test on, sorry Rob just to jump in on, on the steel thing in City midfield I think he's got Pepsi is a lot of players in his team who he can interchange and I think the likes of Danilo and Mendy who are possibly the players who will give you a bit more steel he, he knows that he can drop them into midfield if they need that against the bigger teams Okay, we've done the best of the rest. Let's talk about the mighty Reds again. Let's actually, we've looked at it, our setup in the context of the transfers, but let's just take stock of the squad as a whole now. Um, there's been a lot of sort of talk about he's like a new signing across the squad, yeah. and that's caused some irritation, I think, with those who, who want to see a certain number of bodies brought in the transfer window. But when the dust settles, some of this is true. The squad does feel richer than it's been in some considerable time, I think, John. Um Let's just go. <clears throat> I, th I think you know, you're looking at it now. I've had this conversation with several Liverpool fans over the course of the last few days. You can pick two really good Liverpool 11s now, and that's that feels like something we haven't been able to do for a while. Yeah, I, I think you tweeted something similar the, the other day, Rob. I think you put uh, both Paul. I had a go at this, and, uh, and, and, and I think it's and, and you were reading some debate, wasn't it? I think uh, Milner was missed out. I think Milner, Milner would have got into the midfield in the right. second team, no messing around. And I, th I think. I think it feels like we're in relative rude health from that from that perspective, notwithstanding 
the comments I made earlier on about centre half, where I still think that's that's probably our, our biggest vulnerability. But I think um, keep keep the centre half fit. Let's be right, centre half should be one of the the positions on the pitch where it's easier to keep players fit. They they covering much less ground. Neither of our centre halves rely heavily on pace, so you'd imagine that it would be uh, an opportunity to keep those guys fit. But yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think you could. You can imagine that I know Neil was a fan a couple of years ago of having a um, Lucas captain in a, 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 a league cup team and almost having a shadow uh, first team for the cups and you've, we've got more than enough numbers to do that. Well, two two things, Josh, occurred to me is one that Klopp has always lamented that he doesn't get a, a winter break in England, which I think was a key part of his strategy in uh, in Germany. That's how he kept his team so aggressive and able to sort of get at teams and keep running throughout the course of the season. Is they got to go again after a re- after the, the the Christmas recess. He begins to have those kind of options now, and I also think he begins now to see options on the bench for the first time. You look at what team we might put out. If he goes unchanged this weekend against City from the team that demolished Arsenal, he could he could look at Coutinho and Oxley Chambers coming on sixty. Uh, Milner Milner to shore up a game. That's it. That's it. Feels quite incredible, really. Incredible and move forward. Yeah, I think we've just got a really good good balance in our squad now. I think the, the drop off in quality between you know a couple of your options, but barring you know the, the Clav and Gomez shout, I think. It's it's so much less than what it used to be, but also we've got the the young lads who who will be able to give game time in certain cups. You know we've got a battle on four fronts this season. I think I think now we've got a squad big enough to deal with that bar and some some massive injury crisis, which you know we've not been we've not been afraid of having. But um, it'll be good to see them them young lads get a game. And it's interesting that Ryan Kent and players that have gone out on loan. I thought maybe they kept them around for them games, but we we definitely have now. The enough quality to be able to deal with the league campaign and, and also put up a fight in the Champions League but we've also got the, the young lads who can come in for them lesser games Paul a, a lot of focus on where we've pulled, we pulled up short last season was the defence but in truth Liverpool's well, I feel in truth. In Liverpool's tail off from January into February, we stopped we stopped be thrashing teams mm-hmm. was because we didn't because when we lost Mane basically, and also we lost Coutinho to injury, and then latterly Lalana. I feel one big issue that people are taking for granted a bit is that we feel it seems like we've solved the pace issue by bringing in two extra pacey wingers to supplement Mane. Yeah, uh, and I'm uh, sorry. Can I also add? And I think the rehabilitation of Moreno adds to the pace. Absolutely, asset the, pool. There was a there's a thing at the beginning of last year where in pre-season there was talk from Klopp about him having this full-back that can arrive late as well and then all of a sudden James Miller was there who's not naturally the most pacey lad on the side. So Moreno, I think that's the, the attribute he's looked for in Moreno and Robertson is the fact that if Liverpool are bombing forwards at pace, well, James Miller can't catch these speedy lads up, but Moreno could, you know, if especially if one's on the ball. So that that that's an interesting thing. and You're just seeing a Liverpool side now that can just tear at you and we've got other lads uh, the additions of Salah and Oxley chamberlain don't slow that down we're maybe moving Lalana from midfield where he was being very effective to right side of an attack sort of it was a touch too many there wasn't quite the same ability of the lads that were there um so yet yeah, we look strong and I think you know you're now looking at that midfield and going well who's your who's your who's your creativity coming from and both of ours have been missing at the at the start of the season but you you can now look at to, towards the weekend and go well if you can reintegrate him, Coutinho can fill that position. Lalana's probably six eight weeks away from adding further depth. 
And we have, I think the other thing is as well, I've touched on that earlier in the show, is that the three young lads, Woodburn, Gomez and Trent, have just added a sort of value to the squad that you didn't quite realise was there, you know. They feel ready, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've, a lot of a, a lot of time we'll be crying for this sort of local lad or whatever. Well, okay, they're not quite, well, they're not quite that, but these are products of good buying at academy level, you know. So this is... Sort of what we had with Sterling, where you go, well, there's someone, there's someone there in the background who might be, might be ready, but sometimes it doesn't happen. We look at Pacheco or Suso, but actually we've got three lads there who are ready who can add to the squad a little bit. Maybe not every week from the start, but they're not. It's not an absolute tragedy. Like what, what with no, with no disrespect, but what Kev Stewart felt if you were playing, you felt you were really scraping the barrel. These don't really feel like that. Trent, Trent obviously got a very bright future, but then. If you're calling on Ben Woodburn, well, he's shown what he can do at the weekend, you know. And this is this is all good. This is all good. You so you've got your squad and them. That that additional bonus that we've got is very very strong. John, just to to, to bring this edition of the the Anfield Wrap to to its uh, a fairly natural conclusion, it's 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 felt to me just talking about the the last week and the in the issues in front of us at the moment. That it's hard to talk about our club at the moment without feeling incredibly positive. We've got we've got a new player. To, if just coming into this weekend, and maybe these are very famous last words, and football is a fickle motherfucker. But uh, <laughs> we've got to look forward to a debut for Oxlade Chamberlain. We've got to look forward, hopefully, to Coutinho coming back into the fold. We hope we've got players coming back from international duty, feeling confident like like Ben Woodburn. Um, we've just beaten Arsenal. Confidence is an all time high. We're back in the Champions League. Just at this moment, it feels good to be a Liverpool supporter. Absolutely, absolutely, it does, Robin. I think I think we go to City at the weekend uh, with with no with no fear, and and, and I think uh, we typically go to City not feeling great fear because I think they're a team that we've got a reasonable record at their place. Uh, I think last season's game could have been three nil. We could have beat three nil. We could have won three nil. We could have been three three all. Josh and I sat together. Didn't we? we had uh, yeah. we shared some some chocolate treats during the game. Sounds weirder than it is. Who bought them, Josh? Did the older man buy them? The, the older man. The older one bought them. They let him get moist in his pocket. Um, no, but but I, th- I, th- I think we um, we're all we're all really really excited about about the about what could potentially happen for this uh, this Liverpool team. Um, I think. The other, the other thing I would I would add um, is that um, dare I say it feels like the, and, it, and you can assign it to Tony Barrett if you want to and you can assign it to uh, Peter Moore if you want to but it feels as though there is very very slow incremental movements towards the club actually beginning to listen and understand some of the challenges that supporters face and, and the I think the the, the announcement last week about the um, about the support for those who've got to pay an inordinate amount of money for uh, for for a, a, a a the visa, the visa for for, for Moscow, feels feels great. I, I was involved um, um, last week um, with with somebody who was picking up tickets for the um, the, the local supporters, you know, the, the nine pound ticket scheme, and I was really really impressed the rigor with which the club vet that somebody's actually from Liverpool and if you have to prove your photographic ID, you've got to prove your address. And I think they've began to address the problems of those tickets getting out of, out of, getting out to tout. And it just feels like incrementally off the pitch, the club are starting to move in the right dire- direction. It's very, very early signs, but I'm feeling warm and fuzzy about the club at the moment for the first time in quite a long time. Yeah, same. That's the last word then. 
Thank you very much to Paul. Thanks to Josh. Thanks to Johnny. Thanks to Andy for uh, for producing and and a very good uh, brief intervention. Uh, Neil back next week. This is be me, Rob Goldman. This is the Anfield Wrap. Sports Social Podcast Network.